All right, Mr. Manager. All right, Mayor, thank you very much. We're going to do a little bit. Um, uh, Ms. Williams Graves is running a little bit behind it. There's some pieces that we want to make sure everybody gets to, to um, uh, participate in. So we'll change the agenda for the work session just a teeny bit and um, hold off on the close. And um, uh, and I've also got a couple of pop-ups that uh, key folks are on a conference call right now. So I'm going to add. I'm going to go straight to the winter storm update. And I'm going to ask uh, James Riddick, who's our Jim Riddick, who's our director of emergency operations center, to, to step up, and he's going to get an assist from Stephen Hawks. But but I'll just say to you, um, you know, for for me, this was obviously a, a first storm for me at Norfolk, and I would tell you that um, uh, my observations of your team, and and y'all heard me say this a lot now, this this whole idea of Team Norfolk, uh, it's real, and um, the uh, efficiency, the collaboration, the calmness with which your team uh, carried out the tasks uh, was really impressive. And I would say to you that that team went, um, frankly, you're going to hear, well beyond city employees. And, and city employees did some heavy lifting, but uh, uh, the, the faith community, Operation Blessing, everybody from HRT to the Navy was involved, and uh, school systems, and um, so it's a story that I think you can be proud of. And while, it's, while we're in some ways still in it, uh, decided that tonight was to go ahead and give you a, a quick overview of what went on, uh, in part because two weeks from now it just won't be as, as relevant. That's the next time we'll be together. So with that, Jim, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Mr. Smith. And we'll certainly talk about heavy lifting in this presentation <laughs> in another way. So, Mayor, members of Council, Mr. Th Smith, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you about the recent winter storm. Um, this comes on the heels of Hurricane Matthew, and that was one of the concerns with this storm were those uh, trees and limbs and lines that didn't come down from Matthew might come down this time with the snow, wet, heavy snow uh, and, and the ice. And thankfully that did not come to fruition. In fact, if you remember, we were expected to get at least a foot, maybe 13, in some places they were saying 18 inches. And we didn't get that. And so I did I did initially blame Mr. Smeagle uh, for this snowstorm. I heard him a couple of council meetings ago <coughs> mention to Mr. Smith that he needed to experience 10 inches. Um, and so once we got that forecast, I, I reached out and said, thank you very much for this. Uh, but but in his defense, it was not 10, it was 7, uh, and we responded nonetheless. The official accumulation totals were consistently around 7 inches, 6 to 7 inches, uh, and temperatures, to be clear, uh, Pete Garner had mentioned earlier, we've gone 90 straight hours of below freezing temperatures. And so with that, looking at wind temperatures in the 20 degrees, uh, wind chill in the single digits, gusts in the 35 miles per hour, uh, not only are we going to have issues with infrastructure and the roads and the bridges, but human services as well, our homeless population, those folks who are experiencing homelessness, it's really a matter of life and limb. And so that really drove the key focus areas for our Team Norfolk group. So life safety, infrastructure, roads and facilities, and communications. How do we keep you informed? How do we keep each other informed with situational awareness? And most of all, how do we keep the community informed? And as you can see, here's, a, here's some of the folks with whom we plan. Fantastic coordination with the state and governor's office Fantastic coordination with the National Weather Service. VDOT played a significant role in, in providing us resources upon request. Norfolk Public Schools, tremendous partners. Uh, we were lock and step side by side uh, with resources, leveraging resources, contractors and others. And just all these folks and some, you know, participated to the resiliency of, of Norfolk throughout this winter storm. So to start with the life safety per, uh, focus, um, you're, you're familiar with the NEST program, the Norfolk Emergency Shelter Team program. Houses of worship and volunteers who sign on to accept those who are experiencing homelessness on a weekly basis. We had two fantastic houses of worship. We had uh, Ohaf Shalom and we had Tabernacle, Tabernacle, 
Tabernacle of Norfolk that are participating this week with a capacity of around 130 individuals. Also this year, something new that we did is we set criteria by which we would make sure that if the capacity doesn't exist within the NEST program, then we will provide additional support through 741 Monticello, the home of uh, Norfolk Human Services. And so that criteria is freezing temperatures or wind chill of freezing temperatures or a combination thereof should the ground be saturated uh, from snow uh, or rain or the like. And so we were able to accommodate through NEST and we were able to provide daytime warming stations because usually during cold temperatures during the day, uh, folks can go to public facilities, libraries, rec centers and the like. Since we had closures over the weekend, we provided daytime warming stations. And I'd like to ask Steve Hawks, who was really the lead on that effort, uh, to kind of talk about how we were able to successfully provide those accommodations. Steve? Thank you. Good evening. I may have been the lead, but I wasn't the one that did all the work. That was done by some of the team members that you have here. On Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, we opened a warming station in the Community Services Board office over on Olney Road. Uh, they had staff members present. Uh, they had 105 on Sunday, and I think that was the high day. They received uh, food donations from the Salvation Army, so they were able to provide feeding. They had televisions, and so they were basically able to keep folks comfortable, keep them out of the cold, and did a tremendous job, job on that. With city offices opening this morning at 10 o'clock, we wanted to make sure we didn't just have folks standing out in the street with nowhere to go. So this morning, the uh, Human Services Department over at 741 Monticello opened a warming station, and we, we kept that open until all the city offices and the places that, uh, that our homeless population usually go to accumulated. We had tremendous support. Uh, as usual, police department was there with us at, at both locations uh, to, to just help us with any situations and uh, to be there as a contingency. Fire department provided, tr drove the vans so that we could transport folks. The passage from the Nest program to Olney Road was pretty icy and, and to prevent any risk of folks falling and getting hurt. Fire department ran the vans out of the city motor pool, and we were able to transport folks back and forth. So, all in all, I think we had a very successful effort with that. And one quick note about public safety: police, fire, um, and 911. It's normal operations in addition to these duties. And again, they did a fantastic job uh, responding to multi-vehicle accidents, uh, responding to fires, and then those things which occur uh, during peacetime blue skies as well as winter storms. Infrastructure, uh, one of the most popular topics during winter storm events. Um, Public Works did a fantastic job in coordination with VDOT, in coordination with contractor support. Uh, we have so many lane miles of primary and secondary roads. And we have 200 personnel. You can see the different uh, assets we have up there. But it's important to point out 17 additional spreaders and plow combinations from the Virginia Department of Emergency Man or Virginia Department of Transportation made through requests through Department of Emergency Management. So that, in addition to what we've already had, plus one world champion power lifter who got a lot of um, notice and uh, publicity over the event, uh, helped us really clear up the roads in, in, a, in a severe quickness. Jim, I have a quick question. Yes, ma'am. I, I got um, I received a couple of calls, emails, saying, you guys are out spreading something, and then an hour later, a truck was going by. Shouldn't have been the opposite. And I responded, we were pre-treating the roads to make the work easier for the 
clouds. Is that the Absolutely. communication? Well, I, I, I can, sure. well, and I can defer to David Ricks, but I can tell you that, yes, they pre-treat the roads with a brine solution prior to. And one of the concerns leading up to this incident was the rainfall prior to the snow. But thankfully, there was that daytime, that Friday, where the rain had already stopped early that morning, and before the snow started in uh, Friday night, that's when we put down that solution. This was within an hour of the same. And, I mean, it was one hour, there was somebody was spreading some salt or some solution, and okay. then the plows were coming through. So I wasn't sure if that was the pre-treat or not. Might have been sand. I mean, yeah. how... Yeah. We'll figure out what I'll, happened I'll, I'll there. I'll give you some, some details. Okay. Tommy, Tommy has just a quick question about the 17B dot. I notice that's different. So in the past, we haven't had as much support from B dot at that level. So I think that was what I noticed is one of the differences with this storm on how quickly we were able to get out. Is that because um, the whole state wasn't covered in snow, so there was more availability for these trucks? Or can we always count on that extra support from V dot? Or is it because... Kenny has connections up in Richmond, yeah. and we were able to... So yeah, they came from Northern Virginia. We <laughs> yeah. had um, Secretary Lane and the governor uh, ask if we wanted uh, additional uh, trucks from Northern Virginia, and I uh, shared their call with, uh, with Doug, and we accepted uh, those trucks from Northern Virginia. And do we have to man those trucks? No. Or did they... So they did. The request comes okay. in that the, it's the vehicles and the manpower to stop. Okay, great. Find everything else. They do come at a cost. Sure, we'll pay for that, but they send the drive. Well, some of that hopefully can be recovered if the cost of the storm surpasses emergency management. There could be some reimbursement. And and we'll talk about that right after this slide, uh, if if we can. So from a communication, oh, I'm sorry. How many of the plows were private? You know, twenty-seven plows. I saw a lot of landscaping. Um, there were data. Yeah, we of the, of the 27, 27 plows. Uh, basically, ten were basically VDOTs. You know, the state employees and seven were, were contractors um, in terms of on our main roads. Then we had a separate contingent, but basically it worked at downtown streets. And that was our standard uh, paving contractors basically picked up the snow, put it in into the trucks, uh, and we took it to Harbor Park. So, uh, lands, when I saw a private landscaping truck, the, the, was that somebody we had hired? That's correct. They were part of our standard, you know, uh, paving landscaping contractors that we engaged to help us with these snow operations. And so, we gave them a segment. Of the, of the downtown area to basically pick up the snow, put it into a large truck, and then take it to Hubbard Park <coughs> for our storage. And Dr. Whitby, part of that is in, you and I had that conversation with Marcus to prepare with private contractors, and they continued that relationship. Great. From a communications perspective, um, led by Brent Kelly and Lori Crouch, every way possible, high-tech, low-tech, um, obviously website, social media, uh, the blog that we put out, TV48, um, and also on the lower left, the Impact Center. Impact Center, not normally scheduled for the weekend, came in on the weekends, 10 o'clock uh, to 5 o'clock uh, both days, uh, and then started bright and early yesterday, and, and they're still there today. So uh, answered a lot of questions. The first question, obviously, uh, with any incident, is when am I trash getting picked up? So that's just to let you know that we take that information, and that's really how we craft the next messages, hopefully to, to quash any rumors or otherwise making sure that we're answering the questions that people really want to know. But, uh, but again, every way possible, including Norfolk Alert, uh, we've been able to get those messages out. I do want to give a shout-out to Operation Blessing, who's yet again this year uh, have implemented the Snow Buddies program. For those who are vulnerable, those who are unable to, to get out to, uh, to uh, attend medical appointments or otherwise, they've been out there coordinating volunteers to get them the assistance that they need uh, to get out and about. 
And then the, the federal assistance piece. Winter storms, according to FEMA, are, are a lot different than hurricanes. Um, and, and I would say that they don't necessarily look at snowstorms as disasters. And so while we do have that per capita threshold of, of closely to $870,000, it's got to be that and it's got to be near record, which means within 10% of the record snowfall for us. And as you can see up there, that's 18 and a half inches. And so they, they set a very high bar uh, to receive any sort of uh, eligibility for FEMA assistance. And it's not likely that we'll get it. Uh, we're certainly going to make sure that we calculate all the costs, all the volunteer time, all the man hours, all the equipment usage. Uh, but it's, it's that one caveat that it's got to be near record snowfall. Um, thankfully, that we didn't get, but uh, that doesn't help us with the FEMA reimbursement. So, again, it's not likely that we're going to get that. Uh, Mr. Riddick? Sorry. Yeah, um, this storm had a name. Yes. I mean, why? As, as, and I, you might not know the answer. But why El Jess the Pozo is going to snow? I, that's a fantastic question, Mr. Reddick. It's the Weather Channel came up with the naming um, capability. So naming a storm for them just differentiates between different storms, but we don't necessarily name storms because that's when you get into insurance issues of... Well, that's what I'm saying. This storm had a name. Right. That meant that homeowners' deductible is 5% of the value of the home. Right. And I'm just wondering, is it, you know... Something if it out. if it were named by the National Weather Service, uh -huh. that would be the case. But was, since it's was this not, one named by the National Weather Service, yes, sir. Okay, no, sir. Okay. Jim Kentor, yeah. <laughs> who who was freezing down at the oceanfront. Yeah. So, um, so upcoming weather things are things are looking good. Uh, significant uh, increase in the temperatures and the wind chill today. Uh, we have plans for again our our, our residents with uh, experiencing homelessness, so they're good now. Um, we're looking at, for more snow melt. Uh, along with that snow melt, we're looking at localized flooding, which Public Works uh, sends crews out to open up all the storm drains to uh, hopefully um, reduce the amount of flooding that we can expect. And there's some potential rain uh, tonight. There's the green lines down at the bottom, which, again, help break down some of the snow on the roadways. And uh, from here on out, things are looking really well. So, um, again, the more incidents that we have like this, the, the stronger the team gets, the better our plans get, and, uh, and more inclusive that we are with our community uh, the better off we are as Team Norfolk. So I'll entertain any questions. Mr. Smeagol. Yes. Um, so you guys got a nice email from me last night, which is unheard of um, after storm. So it's you, been you got framed. Two in a row, right? <laughs> yeah, hur hurricane in this one. Um, I did want to ask you, Jim, um, I have the primary and secondary route. So one thing that we always deal with, we have a lot of um, transplants from the Northeast. And, of course, they handle snow completely different than we do. We panic over a half of an inch right, and everything shuts down. So I, I take that into consideration, but there also seems to be an increase in these types of events, unless I'm wrong um, in historical data, but it looks like we're having averaging one major snowstorm a year now. Uh, I think last year we lucked out a little bit on, on it, but the year before we had a big one and the year before that. Should we start looking at maybe increasing our stock of snow plows that could be added to trucks um, or uh, to garbage trucks? Um, also, should we look at reevaluating our um, secondary roads? Um, you know, I looked at this and I noticed that there's one little section of Church Street that is, it's all, almost all of Granby, the Church Street is listed as a primary, but there's one little section that for some reason secondary, um, and it didn't make sense that if you're going to have trucks there, why wouldn't you do that? Now that population has grown over in um, the East Beach area, could Pretty Lake in that section be considered now secondary? I just don't know the last time that we've, it looks like we, our, our primary is mainly off of bus routes, which I understand why we do that. But um, 
when we do get complaints, and maybe you guys heard it, it's mostly, couldn't just a truck come by and just take the top layer off to at least make it a little bit safer to drive on some of these other roads. So we clear the main roads, which they are fantastic. They are the best I've ever seen. And we got to the secondary roads faster than I think we, I've ever seen us get to them, maybe because of the extra trucks. But um, maybe add in a few more roads that people can get to the major roads faster since we're doing a great job on that and just kind of reevaluating some of that. I know some of it's manpower, some of it's equipment, but maybe because we are seeing an increase of these events, uh, maybe we need to um, in increase uh, our budget for snowblowers, you know, and to clear downtown streets faster instead of just doing shovels. Maybe we need to add five more into our stock to do that. I, a few years ago, I asked about the airport. Once the airport is done with their equipment, can they join in and help us with our streets? Uh, those who took a tour of the airport years ago saw they have millions of dollars and really nice snow removal equipment that I think once they're done with their runways, it goes back in their shop. But can we utilize that and maybe clear military highway using that? Uh, those. So I think there's an opportunity. We, every time we have these storms, I know we grow on it. It's not a complaint. It's just about if we're going to average one of these once a year, maybe twice a year, hopefully not, um, should we start looking at ways that we can handle this better so that we don't have any complaints like this time. Um, next time we may not have the 17 extra trucks from VDOT. So what are we then doing so that we get the same experience for our citizens so that they don't, don't complain? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Well, I can tell you that David Ricks and Pete Garner, his staff, uh, after every winter storm that we've had, we'll sit down and meet with HRT. Uh, we'll meet with public schools <clears throat> to make sure that we can get, again, those primaries and secondaries uh, up and up quickly, but making sure that we're looking at appropriate roads for that. So we'll do another reassessment, uh, and we'll run it by council, and, and we'll make sure that uh, the needs that are within the community yeah. are, are met. So, Mrs. Thank Johnson you, and Mrs. McCullough. Um, Mr. Um, Smeagol, Councilman Smeagol, um, I, if I can recall, a couple of years ago, we discussed this. Um, we also wanted to know um, a list of what is considered the primary roads as well as the secondary roads. Um, we also discussed getting the extra plows and what the cost of it would be onto the city or uh, somehow partnering up with someone else, such as the, the airport. Sure. Um, to see how we could do that, but you all did. You're just awesome. Thank you. And my next question is, um, I'm going back to the, um, the pop-up was the Community Service Board, being that it is considered um, the warming station. Um, is that the only warming station that we have that services the entire city, or are they throughout the city? There are a couple different networks. So a warming okay. station okay. Uh, is, is direct outreach with those, those guests, those folks who are experiencing homelessness. Okay. Uh, and it was more tactical. That was a conversation Friday on okay. what facility could we best accommodate uh, just for this weekend. So another storm might be something different. Uh, but for the NEST program, the Emergency Shelter Team program, those are overnight accommodations in partnership with the Union Mission and Salvation Army, and those churches change from week to week. So there's a walk-up site and a bus site. So those change every week. So, thank you. Thank you, Mayor. Andrea. I just wanted to um, commend you for opening up the garages downtown. I think this might have been the first time we've done that. I was, I was curious what the usage was. Maybe it was, you know, people are still getting used to the idea, but getting our cars off the streets at the plows, kind of effectively plow, 
just makes a lot of sense. We do it hurricane. Let's continue to do this during snowstorms. It was, uh, again, the collaboration that we had within the, the Emergency Operations Center. It was David Ricks and his folks talking with David Freeman and his folks saying that we want to do what we can to keep folks off the road, keep them from not only getting plowed in, but also making sure that we can lay down the treatment on the road. So, right. yeah, kudos to General Services for sure. All right. Thank you. Anything else? Mr. Manager. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Mr. Reddick, thank you very much. Um, uh, again, a, a great effort and one I think we can all be uh, really proud of. Great job. Um, in terms of, uh, yeah, so, so Capri Stanley Smith is, is here and, and Christine Gorzinski is going to help her. I sent an email to Council uh, Friday afternoon just talking to you a little bit about um, some of the difficulties we had with uh, PeopleSoft uh, with the last pay period and um, just want to give you, Capri, uh, a chance to give you a little bit of an update. Um, I said in that note, um, you know, we're changing systems and making some changes, and um, uh, things fail, and things happen, and it's really how you handle those that, that says a lot about you. And I would just say to you that on the, uh, the New Year's Eve weekend, that Friday night, uh, you have folks from, from Team Norfolk um, here at uh, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning working very, very hard to rectify what had happened and get their arms around it. And it was in Capri but it was people from uh, HR and payroll and ComTech and and I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, and it was uh, uh, really heavy lifting uh, that those folks did. So uh, I was real proud of that, of that group. Bree, if you could tell us a little bit about what went on, that'd be great. Okay, so just to provide an update, um, first, good afternoon, to provide you with an update, um, we made a decision to try to pay all of our employees for all monies owed in their final semi-monthly check of December 30th. That meant that we wanted to pay them for their overtime, for their holiday pay, we wanted to pay them that additional date on December 23rd. Um, in order to accomplish this, our plan was to provide them with hard checks as opposed to direct deposit. Now, we still provided them direct deposit for their base salary. So this, the hard checks would only apply for overtime, holiday work, and um, December 23rd just for your sworn police and fire employees. Um, additionally, in order to prepare for the transition into biweekly pay, we had to shut down the system early. Um, for the final semi-monthly um, final semi-monthly pay, which meant we only have hours for our temp employees for one week, um, and the intent was to provide them a, a hard copy check for that second week as well. Um, and so, while there was success processing pay for permanent employees to include base pay for all overtime eligible employees, there was some difficulty processing. Um, our hard checks due to programming and just to the sheer volume of checks that were that needed to be processed. Um, we typically provide maybe 10 off-cycle checks and, and, and this was upwards of about 2,000 checks that we needed to provide. Um, so our goal was to have the checks cut by Thursday the 29th, um, but it took until midnight the 30th to have that done. And so the finance, members of the finance team came in on Saturday the 31st to um, issue checks, and they were available for check pickup at that time. Um, again, our first biweekly check is this Friday the 13th. And <laughs> we're, we're taking steps to ensure that it runs smoothly, as smoothly as possible. However, I mean, there will be some issues. And as soon as we're made aware of them, we will, we will get it resolved. Mr. Riddick? Yeah, you, you, you say, you're saying today that there will be issues or there might be issues. There, there will be some off cycles that need to be chucked, that need to be cut for employees for this Friday, yes. Okay, uh, and uh, if, if this uh, 
I guess bi-weekly, is that what you're doing there? This is our first bi-weekly, yes, okay. sir. It was supposed to take effect in 2017. You know, why were people affected in, in uh, on December the 30th? So for our final semi-monthly check, our goal was to pay them for all of their monies owed as opposed to having them wait. We mm -hmm. wanted to pay them um, for everything just to close out the year. Now, and that's what the issue was. Were some of those checks not good until the following Tuesday? Or were they good immediately? Um, the checks that were cut on the 31st were good immediately. Immediately. Okay. Well, <clears throat> for employees who were put at a deficit because of the city's efforts, what can you do to make them whole? Everybody should have been made whole, sir. Everyone should so have received their pay. So people who had late pay. payments and all of that kind of stuff, that they were, they were, that that they were affected. Okay. If, if they come to you and say, "Well, because you were not able to do what you're supposed to do, I was charged this finance or that finance." We didn't have. I'm not aware of anyone that's come to me regarding that. Uh -huh. um, but we would see what we can do to help yeah, well, them. I, I think. Let me a, just... I think a message should go out because this was awful and it shouldn't have happened. Uh, and I think a message should go out to all employees who are affected by this. That somehow, and it'd be expensive, but somehow the city needs to make them whole. Um, Can I just? You know, it's it's you know, it's when you say, uh, and when I say you, I'm speaking collectively. I'm not talking about you. Uh, it is human error, you know, and somehow because of human error, a lot of our uh, employees were affected negatively, and there's probably <clears throat> there's a group of firefighters and retirees who want a better explanation, you know. Um, we, we, you know, it, it seems as the administration is trying to gloss over this. Oh, it happened, and, and all of that. That's not satisfactory with people who we, you know, send out to do the things that they do, even moving snow and all of that. Just to say it was an accident, it shouldn't happen. That's not satisfactory. I think, I think something more concrete uh, needs to go out, whether it's in their uh, file or mail or something. But we just can't keep walking over people, you know. These people, if they go to work for us, and they go to work for us to do the best that they can do, and do what their supervisors ask them to do, and then we just can't say, well, it, it, you know, you didn't get your money, and so we're sorry. We got to can't steal. Because we're an organization, and, and, and people, for every job, there's five or 600 people who want that same job, we have to stop mistreating our employees. You know, and, and, and that's, you know, it's, it's just a fact of life. We've got to stop mistreating our employees. Just so, Mr. Two make a couple comments. Okay. Um, I do think that um, uh, the, that Friday night that we were talking about, that, that it, it seemed to be getting out that um, the, the issue was what impacted more folks and folks weren't getting paid. And so part of the reason we wanted to send out the note uh, over the weekend, and that and a similar note went to all the department heads, trying to convey to folks exactly what did happen. And I would tell you that, that, that we, we believe there's very few folks that actually, quote, di didn't get money or didn't get certain money, and then nobody that didn't get their base pay. There was some uh, around um, overtime and holiday pay, that sort of thing. I've got to tell you. very few. Exactly. So I, right I mean, now, 10 or? I think we're talking about, uh, I, frankly, nobody's come to me. So that, that's part of So the request I'd have of you all is, before we make sort of a, a blanket statement to the organization, is if we've got specific situations, get them to us, and, and we'll deal with them. But i got to tell you, I think we're talking... Uh, really, very little's gotten to us. So, so just for I don't uh, believe that. I don't, I don't, I don't just, think that I was clear. Everyone received that. their base pay. All of their base pay was directly deposited into their account. The only pay we're talking about is the additional pay. 
their overtime pay, their holiday pay, and the extra days pay. So if there's an employee that did not get base pay, then that's, that, that's what we would need to know about. And the retiree issue was not related to this. This was a, that was a separate um, issue. Ms. Johnson? So, Ms. Capri, yes. um, so on the 31st, you all were, you hand wrote checks on the 31st for the finance the, the We hand wrote 10 checks that day. Okay, okay. But, okay, so the pay period was the 30th. December 30th, am I correct? That was the paycheck, yes. That was the paycheck. And the pay so, period was from the 8th through the 23rd. Right. Yes. So, but normally the money is usually in an employee's account. Those who have direct deposit would have received it midnight, December 30th, Mr. Riddick, if, if I'm understanding what you're saying that with direct deposit, they normally would have sent, uh, received it uh, midnight, December 30th. That's correct. And you're saying all employees did receive their money on December 30th. Their base, their base, their base pay. pay. Yes. We're only dealing with overtime pay is where you all had to do something different. Overtime, the holiday pay, okay. which is additional pay. And um, also for sworn police and fire, their additional pay for December 23rd. So I'm not aware of anyone that didn't receive base pay. The other issue that I mentioned was for our temp employees, they only received pay for one week because we wouldn't have known their hours for the second week. Yeah, I have a question. Uh, if the, if the change in pay frequency is to allow payroll to be processed retrospectively, how is that being accomplished without impacting wages for at least a short period of time? Anything in the hole? I mean, you know. There's nothing in the hole, sir. No. We're just going from 24 pay periods to 26. Every other Friday as opposed to semi-monthly. There's nothing in the hole. Paychecks will be smaller. Paychecks will be smaller because you're getting more of them. Right. And you get two two times a month because the school system went on this a couple years ago. Yeah. Two times a month, you get an extra, two times a year, you get an extra paycheck without things taken out of it. Deductions. Deductions. Your yeah, the premiums coming up. Health insurance isn't deducted from it. So just to be clear, that December 30th check was our final semi-monthly check, not our first bi-weekly check. That's coming up this Friday. Thank you. Hi, Mayor. I want to get, ask uh, Winter Bender to, to jump up and just uh, show you a, a, a fun video. Y'all approved uh, flying off. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks ago now. I just right. want to give you a chance to, to see something fun happen. So there's really no segue after all that. I got to tell you. Happy a New tough Year, one Council. Uh, remember, Fly Norfolk, we had an MOU on your last meeting to partner with Centura College at Broad Park. This is just a fun video that used promotionally to help uh, bolster the roster for next Tuesday, or <coughs> Tuesday, this January 17th. And with that, Kim?
Uh, just, um, y'all have heard me say this, but I think as you, uh, as we work to, to change this economy and diversify this economy, there's, there's interesting industry sectors that are going to pop up. Cybersecurity and unmanned systems are certainly two of the leading ones here in Hampton Roads that we're starting to concentrate on. And, and to have these kids have an opportunity to really be on the front end of learning something about unmanned systems, we think is, is, is pretty neat. So happy to share that, that video with you. Um, all right, so Mayor, um, uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we jump to the um, uh, CIP major projects and ask David Ricks to jump up and uh, give that overview for you. This will be the uh, third time's a charm, David. I think we scheduled you three times now. Good afternoon, Mayor, members of council, city manager. Uh, I'd like to do is give you some highlights for key projects and open for questions. We, these are not all of our projects, but these are about 12, some of our major ones, and I'll highlight the individual sheets in terms of some significant events for, for some of these projects. Brad, Brad, could, go back up. Go back up. Yes, sir. I don't have my, my iPad with me. So well, these, are, you, these are the ones you're going to walk through. That, that's these correct. We'll go through okay. each one of these. Okay. All right. Yeah, I've got individual project sheets, and I'll Thank walk you. through them in detail. But here's just the initial list of all these projects. Broad Creek, the schools, of course, complex, fire rescue station, uh, some library renovations, uh, and then downtown, some downtown projects. So the Broad Creek Library, uh, we definitely broke ground. Uh, they're well on track. We're looking at basically spring of uh, 2018 uh, for that project. And that's a design-build project. Uh, things are doing very well on, on that aspect. $10 million project. Camp Allen, uh, we have submitted all the documentation to Office of Economic Adjustment. They're actually, the, the award letter is actually on their director's desk, as we, we called actually during the storm to make sure that we're on, on track. And so hopefully in the next, next week or so, we expect this year to get an award letter. They'll have to do the notification to, to all the significant political officials on that. And then we're looking for us to set up a, a groundbreaking, hopefully this spring. But, uh, and then uh, if we start the spring, we're talking 2018 for, uh, fall 2018 for all world completion. But it's a two-phase project, demolition of a certain phase, uh, then uh, building a certain phase, and then demolition of the second phase of the, of the, of the school. But capacity about 571 students, and we coordinated with Dr. Boone uh, on, on that aspect. How many students? Uh, capacity of 571 students. About seven hundred. How is um, the five million dollars more? What? It's just curious that Camp Allen is five million dollars more than those. Now, I remember part of this eighty percent of this is funded through the Department of Defense yeah, because you've got. I'm still asking. It has what? a different design more. than the other schools. Yeah, it's it's six million dollars yes. more. Yeah, well, I, it looks. They got well, curves. Well, part of it <laughs> because of the Department of Defense, uh, the design requirement. Okay. You need 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 yes, to meet force protection requirements. So that federal those, dollars at work. Okay. And so that and also uh, it's energy efficiency too. Yeah. That, yes, sir. So I'm sorry, Kenny. I just want to ask. Um, the these new schools that we're building are all being built um, with more capacity than what's actually at the current school. And so uh, at our next meeting with the school board, probably there needs to be some conversations about redistricting or collapsing schools because um, I don't think that Camp Allen has 571 students as the military has downsized. They've lost quite a few students. 
so it's great that there's a new school being built there, but I'm wondering what, how many more or programs even, if they want to uh, do a citywide program or something, but those are conversations that we should probably have. I think Larchmont is being built for 700. They have like 450 kids in their school. So is there a, a, a way to bring in yeah, other things? I was really just looking at cost per kid, yeah. per capacity, and how it was so skewed that it was so different. Yeah. Because that's a big difference from 200 more kids, and yet it's 200 less kids and $5 million, $6 million more money. And some of it's Title I, too. So Larchmont's not a Title I school. So the cost per square foot is different than, I think, I, I don't know, I can't speak for them. That's but, part of it also, but also yeah. the force protection requirements. Required for a uh, for any type of military school, uh, some some of the cost. Are there more green buildings uh, initiatives in the school as well? That, that, that's correct. They're required by by federal statute in order to do that. But eighty percent of the dollars is actually funded by the Department of Defense. Okay, this is a commercial quarter project, uh, funded you know half city, half state. Uh, design is well underway. Uh, we're looking to start construction uh, this spring or summer on that one. And that will do a major upgrade to uh, to these two intersections on Bramington Avenue. Uh, this one was actually in, in a, uh, for the Fairmont neighborhood, Lafayette East Gateway. The design is done. The bidding has been done. We, uh, we have pushed the actual start to spring because uh, we don't want to have a delayed construction through actually during the winter season. Um, and basically, besides more green infrastructure, you'll have bike lanes basically uh, in that area to and, and reduce the lane of traffic. Now, right now, you have two lanes each way, and basically, you'll take a lane out of each direction uh, to uh, narrow the throughway and provide more uh, pedestrian and bikeway access uh, from Chesapeake through you know, to Tidewater, that section of the roadway. Yes, ma'am. Can I, um, just based on my personal experience, Loop and Park Place again. Um, yes, let's make sure we do a really great job communicating to the residents before we start striking for bike lanes. Yeah, I, I concur. It, uh, we've had several uh, uh, you know, task force meetings with the community, and there we'll re-engage and make sure before we start, we'll have that conversation again. Absolutely. Course complex. Uh, you know, phase one of the course is already done. Phase two is under construction. Uh, we're looking at summer of this 2017 to finish. Uh, so besides the addition to the second part of the court, the actual uh, plaza area, which is outside this building, will uh, have a lot of green area uh, and also a, a new main entrance off Main Street uh, for, uh, for City Hall. But uh, we're looking at this summer to have, have that completed. And what about the public art that was supposed to be in front of the courthouse? That, that. Yeah, that's as part of the con contract, and we'll actually have that reinstalled uh, before we finish the project. Okay. And so you're talking about finish the project when? Uh, this summer. Yeah. So has the, uh, the artist been, in, been contacted and given the go-ahead to do the public art, which the, in the public art I'm mentioning, it references massive resistance. It was a statute, and the money was approved that it, it, uh, it had to do with massive resistance. For those of you who are just getting here and don't remember that or not familiar with it. And so, David, what we need to know right. um, uh, is that that public art, yes, sir. Was in, and, and you can check with uh, Mr. Daughtry because he knows the artist and he came and made a presentation. Norfolk 
Did we sign a contract or imply, correct? He had done some work on it, and uh, I, I need to check with the public arts uh, director on the status of that. Um, I think he's, he had done some preliminary work. I'm yeah. not sure what the status yeah. of the contract is. I, I think the money, the, the money is there. Right. The money is there. The money so there, yeah. let's not gloss over it. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I'll check on status and I'll give you an update on that, sir. Fireworks Edition 12. Uh, contracts have been awarded. They've actually started some of the site work. Uh, we demolished basically the Meadowbrook School, created some green space. Uh, there's going to be a, a public meeting on the 23rd of January to talk about the desires of the community for that public open space. Uh, Daryl Critton is, is uh, chairing that meeting uh, with the community. But, it's, but the, for the fire station, it's going to be a $5 million project. Uh, and looking at uh, 2017, this fall, uh, to finish that. Will we keep the old one and make a museum out of it? Has anybody mentioned that? I uh, have. <laughs> <laughs> We're well, not tearing it down. That's, that's the sure. oldest station. Yes. It's so I think be, we need it's to. It's got to be preserved. Right. Yeah, yeah, nothing has been decided for the, the existing station, so. I, I will go. <laughs> I'll go blue on that. Of course, the Dining Library renovation, uh, collaboration with the uh, uh, library de uh, department. Uh, the contract is, is underway. Uh, we've done some demolition in terms of where we're at on the project. Uh, we're coordinating actually with NRHA because they also have got some repair work with uh, some of the residential units above the library. And so we're working with NRHA in terms of uh, finalizing some of those uh, uh, renovation issues with NRHA uh, before we continue on with the library renovation itself. But it's about half a million dollar project that uh, uh, for the scope. Yes, ma'am. Johnson. So, Mr. Rich, you're waiting for NRHA to do what before you can um, follow through? Well, NRHA, we have because they, there, there is some additional renovation work related to the residential units above the library. We've done some demo lesson work, and so we're, there's some minor renovation changes related to their work that we're coordinating with. And so uh, in terms of the overall schedule, I don't have an exact schedule yet, and I need to meet with NRHA to have that finalized, the, the final uh, coordination issue so we can lock in a completion date. Okay, so NRHA has not given you a timeline. Not yet, but it's really related to the design technical issues related to that. So we're coordinating with them. So it's not we're not waiting on them. Just that because we, once we got into the demolition, we found some things that were not expected. And so now we're working with the contractor and our staff to figure out a timeline to kind of work through those technical uh, renovation issues. Larchmont School uh, is under construction. Uh, we're looking at, you know, basically you know, uh, April and May time frame to finish the construction piece, and then the school will actually do the outfitting of the facility and be ready for a uh, summer 2017 opening. Cost about $22 million. Ocean View, uh, a little further behind, but it'll also be, be done by uh, May-June time frame, uh, and that's another $22 million project. 
Oh yes, ma'am. Both of these. Uh, they'll they'll be they'll be finished by June until they turn the buildings over, and then the school will, will do their out, outfitting in terms of the furniture and uh, camera system. Uh, Southern Arcade. If you've been down there, the, the south facade it's got some key structural issues, and so we've got basically a uh, a contract to repair the structural supports. It's over a million dollars. Uh, they're looking at March, April time frame uh, to finish that work. Southside Library, uh, new library, basically by the Aquatic Center. Uh, we actually sent out the request for for qualifications for a design build firm for this project. Uh, so that went out in December, and we'll expect to get those requests for qualifications uh, by the end of this month, and then we'll narrow it down uh, to send out formal proposals for a design build proposal uh, for the selected teams. Mr. Riddick? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, we fail miserably uh, when it comes to minority participation. Okay. Uh, and so in this particular uh, request for proposal, I'd like for them to put in, you know, what their... Uh, Beach Nourishment Project, work with the Corps Engineers, uh, total funding about $38 million. Uh, right now, the actual dredges uh, that are supposed to do the work looking to arrive on site the 25th of February. And they'll should, once they do that, they'll uh, start basically the beach uh, aspect in terms of physical work shortly <coughs> right after that. Uh, but they still contractually required to finish by May timeframe. And so they'll be working, they'll actually have three dredges it was all said and done when they, they finally mobilized. And also concurrent with this, we're actually doing uh, outfall extension work. Uh, that's totally city funded uh, through our stormwater fund. And uh, most of that outfall work will be actually done before they start the beach nourishment piece. Uh, that's all I have. Thank you, Mr. Sure. Um, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, so let's do, let's do a little agenda check. So we've got um, two more presentations for you. We've also got um, uh, probably 30 minutes-ish worth of closed session items. So we push that off. We can, we can uh, keep rolling with the, with the presentations, or we can take a pause and, and have dinner and go into close, whatever your preference is. Do that? Do that? All right. We'll do that. Sure. We're closed. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> See what time i got to hop on us about the night. No. <laughs> this is the, the Smeagol whip on your session. I'm the manager of council assembly on Thursday, January 10, 2017 at 526. Where discussion in open session would adversely affect the negotiating strategy of the public body. Ms. Graves? Aye. Ms. Johnson? Aye. Ms. McClellan? Aye. Mr. Riddick? Aye. Mr. Smigel? Aye. Mr. Thomas? Aye. Dr. Wibley? Aye. Mr. Alexander? Aye. Thank you.
give an update uh, about the RFP for the executive search firms. Um, the RFP will be completed by the end of the week. Uh, we have received some recommendations from some of you. What we have so far uh, is the Mercer Group, uh, Ralph Anderson and Associates, Waters and Company, Sullivan Management Consultants, uh, Colin Messenger and Associates, and uh, the Davenport Company, Davenport and Company. Um, if you have other uh, firms that you would like to include, please get those recommendations to me or to Mr. Daltrey, and we will include them. Um, if uh, once they get the, the RFP goes out, we will um, review them as a council, um, and if a firm is selected, then we will meet collectively uh, to review the process, timetable, and interviews. It will be interviews by members individually and collectively. Uh, the consultant will share with the council a summary of meeting inputs, focus groups, consultant prepares, position description, and community profiles, uh, and then the search is initiated. Uh, consultant screens applicants, narrows field uh, to an agreed upon number of finalists, and the applicant profiles provided to the council for review. Candidate is selected for an interview. The interview will be scheduled, and if a candidate is selected, then we will move forward with the staff, uh, with the attorney, to negotiate the funding package. And if that all goes well, then the uh, announcement of a new manager will uh, pursue. So that is the uh, outline as relates to uh, RFP for search firm. So, what is the timeline for, like RFP? Why can't it go out? Now, like, is it now? It's going. It's going to go out by the end of the week. I just wanted to okay. announce that because I have not publicly asked uh, if there are any additional firms that you want. No, I don't know any firms. Okay. Um, Who did Charlotte use? Charlotte used oh, Raph Anderson. So I, let me give you a background. So the Mercer Group, Jim Mercer, conducted the city manager search for uh, the Norfolk City Council in 1999. Presently, the business has searches un underway for. City County Managers in Powhatan, Virginia, um, Bowie, Maryland, Scottsdale, Arizona, Moines, Iowa, and among others, um, Portsmouth, Virginia. Ralph Anderson was the firm uh, that uh, used that Charlotte used for uh, for their uh, manager. Alexandria, Virginia, also used uh, Ralph Anderson as well as Cincinnati, Ohio. I think uh, Andrea uh, told me about them as well. Waters and Company. Uh, is on the contract with the state. And the uh, city recently retained uh, that firm for our assessor search. And uh, they are conducting searches right now in counties and towns across Virginia, uh, including for the regional jail superintendent position. Uh, Sullivan Management Consultants was founded in 1988. It is presently conducting executive searches in Virginia, Maryland, South Carolina, Texas, elsewhere, and have good experience <coughs> in recruiting um, for cities and county managers. Colin and uh, Bessinger and Associates was established in 1997, uh, conducted city and county manager searches for Roanoke, Virginia in 2010, York County in 2015, James City County in 2014, Danville in 2016, Winchester in 2014, Covington in 2015, as well as municipal, <coughs> municipalities in our states. 
and we've used them in 2015 uh, to recruit David Ricks. Um, in addition to that, uh, the Davenport and Company just retained Robert O'Neill, who will focus uh, and on strategic financial analysis and advising on leadership and management issues. Uh, prior, prior to joining Davenport, he served as executive director of the International S uh, City and County Management Associations. And all of these firms are registered uh, with the uh, International uh, City and County Management Associations, uh, which advances professional local government worldwide. So if you have any additional search firms, please get, get them to Mr. Riddick. Yeah, at what point do we let them know uh, what we're interested in? For example, one of the things that I'm keen on is somebody with a strong financial background, uh, you know, like well, Marcus was a finance guy, Sterling Cheatham here, who went to Wilmington, was a finance guy. I think it's, you know, at what point do we do that? So we will screen the responses. So when the RFP goes out, mm -hmm. um, they will come back in. We as a council will screen the responses um, mm -hmm. of the search firms and their profile, their resume, um, their, uh, their strengths, their weaknesses, of course, will be laid out. Um, and then uh, we can invite them to meet with us collectively uh, or, and, and talk about the process and then the timetable. And my, my question was um, for the RFP, what's the timeline for the RFP? It goes out on Friday. By state law, how long does it have to sit out for? And when are the responses due? That's uh, a burning, burning it's question. It's uh, a minimum of 10 days. And I think we allowed until February the 2nd in the draft. So we're moving quickly. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's what I wanted. That's why I'm making sure that we're doing the minimum amount of time for this part of it. That's correct. Because it, most of this is, um, I'm assuming, is more of a low bid type thing under state law. Is it? Uh, I mean, uh, no, it's not. You are permitted to uh, ask for their fee proposal. You're not re even required to at this stage. Okay. Um, we put in that we'd like to see it. So it can be a factor, but you are not low bid bound. Okay. Good. Right. Martin, can we see a copy? Can yes, I have a copy. Have a copy for all of you. Thank you. Okay. Good job. All right. Council concerns. Uh, start with Dr. Whipley. We'll work our way around. Okay. Very quickly, Andrew and I have talked about this back last March. In another administration, I brought up that I wanted to open up the um, televised session of the. Um, public remarks. Um, Andrea and I think many of us uh, with the, the election have agreed that we want to do that. Um, I'm just anxious that if we're in, in um, support of this, a majority of us, that we go ahead and do it. Yes. I think Bernard has cleared it, right? I mean, it, that there's no it's legal within concerns. Your correct. Yeah, it's so, within I, your you know, I think it's a matter of leaving the switch on. Right. So I would propose we do that. Yeah, in addition to that, Dr. Will, you're absolutely right. Um, the electronic voting board um, at our retreat, I believe the clerk is going to give us uh, his findings on the cost of other... Because that was my next thought. Yes, all, all that's part of what we ask to be considered and whatever, uh, just turning, leaving the switch on and, you know... And, okay. and, and then very quickly, I know I brought up issues that were a little meatier, like speeding and gun violence, this is kind of a kumbaya thought, but um, we have a lot of people in this city that volunteer a lot of time. And I know I have worked with loads of them that 
not even that they're part of commissions, just that they have been putting in the extra time to um, help our city. And I think it'd be kind of fun, if you guys would agree to this, to recognize them at a formal meeting. And we could do it once a month, we could do it at whatever your discretion is. We could do it when somebody had somebody that they wanted to have be recognized. And, and it might be fun for those of you that are more creative than I to think of something to give them other than those silly proclamations that say whereas. Um, which I, I know one of those really bug me. Um, but if that's what you guys want is a whereas resolution, I'm, I'm okay with that. But anyway, I don't know how you all feel about that. If you have people in your, uh, in your experiences that you would like to recognize, um, I, I just think it'd be kind of a fun thing for us to do. Should develop a process and we can have them doing the ceremonial uh, portion of our council. Okay. All right, Andrea. Yeah, that's, I was just going to say, there's no speeches. No speeches. Uh, the Louisville does something called the Compassionate City, and it's a whole uh, citywide project for business I'm looking into right now. To, cause I absolutely agree. I think we've got a lot of folks who volunteer and do a lot, and we, we need to make sure we thank them and recognize them. So, um, I would love to work with you on that. Great. All right, Mr. Riddick. Yeah, well, uh, I don't support the, but I think the majority will support continuing the uh, council meeting into the informal session. But I would just hope that you would keep under control those people who constantly come down and badger council members. Now, um, we, we, we had a, an ordinance we passed, and it just so happens that it, it has not been enforced yet. So either the attorney or Kenny, you as president of council, needs to uh, enforce this because we're going to have every week, we're going to have a bunch of underachievers that come down and uh, use that as this their their time to really say, well, you know, my this is my 15 minutes of pain, and uh, I am usually the target by uh, a guy that comes down, Danny again, and I'm not going to sit there and let this guy continue to bully me, you know. So if you do it that way, be prepared for me, because I'm coming out with uh, with guns blazing. I'm coming out with guns because I'm sick and tired of it. So if this is what you guys want, do it. Thomas? Thank you. Um, I do want to say thank you for the, the consent agenda. I think that's going to go well. Uh, a couple things. Sabrina, if there's anything you can leave us with, school funding formula, please. Um, that's, that's, okay. All right. Thank you. That, that's sooner rather than later. Um, a while back, uh, we had the non-discrimination uh, employment policy for the city. We're going to make some changes to that. Where is that uh, in being adopted? We have set it forward for uh, scheduling. Let me try to find out why it's not been. Okay, work on that. Um, and, and the only other thing, and I, I talked to the police chief a little bit earlier, I, I want to say it that I, you know, I think we're all hearing it. You know, crime's an issue. Property crimes are up. It's, it's annoying. It's, it's, it's scary to many people. Um, I'm hoping that the study that the police department is doing will lead us to some meaty recommendations that that we can take up uh, sooner rather than later. As, as I told you earlier, um, it should be done in about worst case scenario five weeks, best case two to three weeks. It's recently come back. There's some things they need to address that I would like for them to address. So somewhere in that window, I'll get it back to you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, can I say something? Yeah, Mr. Uh, Just give me one second. Sure. Are you friend? I am. Yeah. Go ahead. 
We have, we have a heroin epidemic. And this is what all of this, you know, the chief can come back with all the studies that he wants. But we have a heroin epidemic. I'm leaving home today and a guy comes up to my car and say, man, give me $2 for a, a bottle of uh, baby oil. You know, we have a heroin epidemic. Our citizens don't recognize the fact that if you can leave the cover to a CD uh, on uh, uh, your car seat, there could be nothing in it. But they're going to break into your car to try to get it. And that is the issue that we have. Is, is, and heroin is in Huntersville. This is where it is. I had to call down two or three times. Huntersville is the old Portsmouth when it comes to heroin. And so, um, you know, you can come back with all the studies you want, Chief. It all has to do with heroin coming back as being the drug of choice. Okay. Mrs. Johnson? Um, I just wanted to go um, back to the televised um, session um, to ensure that um, that we do do it, but that we also have some type of bumper there in place because people only um, know sometimes what they see and what they hear um, people standing before us. They don't know all of the, the facts that are um, presented. So I am in agreement with the televised session, but I think that maybe Mr. Tishko that we can go back and look at what we initially put in place um, and, and see that we have some type of bumper there um, that will say that um, whether it's Mr. Mayor, that he can at some point um, that it doesn't get out of hand, that we remain to be a respectable governing body who is um, here to serve the people. Yes, that you passed rules um, uh, prohibiting um, uncivil offensive conduct, out-of-order conduct. Yes. And uh, repetitious, it's a new business section. I will uh, distribute those to you. Thank you. Uh, and and um, uh, um, perhaps we can take it from there. But we have you have rules in place. Absolutely. <coughs> Thank you so very, um, so very much. Great. This is great. Um, I have two things, and one might be repetitive because I wasn't here earlier, but um, I just would like to, in, in light of the um, incident with the, um, on Poplar Hall Drive, I'd just like to know if we could get um, one of those um, speed radar, you're going this fast, um, and, and to see what the speed is, because I have heard, this incident may have been isolated, but I have heard from people that, and, and I have to confess, I speed on that road too, but, um, <laughs> so, um, I, I can't speak by myself. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but um, can we get, it's a lot of traffic, you know, that, that that's kind of a cut through from Military Highway to Virginia School Bar and all that, so just maybe something to kind of slow, I know we have the, 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 firehouse over there and all that so you know not anything too <coughs> obtrusive but something that just kind of shows when people are coming through there what they see their side at their speed limit to be might help to slow them down a little bit and then um this is part that might be repetitive is um to the staff who worked around the clock during the storm 
um, just want to say thank you um, to everybody who provided updates and everybody who worked and um, you know <coughs> if you don't go home if you don't have to leave the house don't leave the house so I didn't leave the house and so for everybody who had to leave the house and had to come out and had to, to deal with the elements and everything like that I just want to say thank you for um, what you did and for coming out and for making um, things better for all of us um, it, can always do better and be better and we can always complain about what didn't didn't happen but somebody had to get up and do it and so for everybody who got up and did it I just want to say thank you yes I have a few things um, the first thing um, Martin brought up about the increase in property crime and I'll be curious to see the data um, you know I follow um, I was on next door and remove myself from that because of the amount of negativity that's on it. Um, I've stayed on um, a Facebook page called Bayview Neighborhood Crime Watch, and it's disturbing to me to read what citizens are putting out there um, to the public. Um, I don't know if people necessarily know, too, that they're hurting the image of their community um, by creating a page like this, um, because <coughs> I don't know if crime is as bad as it is. If I think it's more that people are, are sharing it more on social media, so it makes it look like that there's more crime happening. Um, I, I'm like this close to forming my own Facebook page that's Bayview Neighborhood Positive News um, so that people can share all the positive things that are happening, which some of that popped up on the Facebook page with snow, people helping people out of snow and stuff. But I, I am concerned about how social media, um, like I said, I had to get off of Nextdoor because it was so negative and the stereotyping um, that was happening on there, it just, I mean, it blew me away. And when I go and speak to Civic Leagues, I remind them that nothing replaces calling 911. And that's another problem with social media as well, um, with people posting crime on there and they didn't even call 911. They can't do their job. So there's a perception that um, police are not covering a certain area um, and that may be true because if no crime's being reported, they're going to move their resources to places where uh, there's crime happening. Um, and so encouraging people to do that, I, I think as a city, um, and as we talked about very early on about us having the ability or resources to be able to share what's good and happening, um, I don't have a budget to be able to do that. I do everything on my own. Um, but ways that we used to do a really great city um, magazine that would go out quarterly and share all the great things that are happening in the city. Just want to constantly, you know, try to remind people that there's a lot of positive happening. In fact, there's a lot more positive happening in the city. It's just like when people uh, make comments about snow removal and, you know, when you go in there and you educate them about it, they're usually okay. And I think the more that we're getting that out there, it helps. There's always going to be people complaining and griping and stuff. But I just, when you said that, it just, you know, kind of struck a nerve with me because I'm bothered by what I see on that. And I'm concerned, and I respond every once in a while, and I defend us. You know, I, um, I, somebody posted that at Linwood Lewis's town hall meeting that um, they said that it's all on city council when it comes to funding police. And I responded back and reminded them that I think public, $49 million or something? Yeah, $49 million I think had been cut since 2008 in public um, safety funding and you know and, and from the state and that's not us you know when you put that stuff out there it helps people and frames it so um, maybe 
we we need to do a little bit more, you know, on that um, with the social media. Uh, I would like to have a presentation on VDOT funding and matching funding and how projects um, make it on there. Um, for six years now, I have been trying to get matching funding for Chesapeake Boulevard um, in between Fisherman's Road and Little Creek Road, which is a major area. Peggy has brought it up multiple times. I'd like to get it for Peggy. Uh, before she ever leaves as the president of the Civic League. But I'm every year there's more projects that keep on popping up, and I'm just wondering how they get on there before requests that have been made. I know some of it's the dollar amount, but I'd like to know how that's chosen, um, where the, how those became a priority. Um, in the presentation earlier today, there were some, um, uh, uh, what's it called, Safe Streets Initiative. Um, you know, how did that get on there before some of the other requests. I know we have some major infrastructure needs, but there's people that have been complaining about some things for a long time. I think that request goes back like 20 something years uh, before I was even on council and why that hasn't been funded or even considered. And I think there's other council people like to know that for maybe some major projects in their ward as well. Um, Virginia 2021, I know the mayor's doing a project. I just wanna make everybody aware, maybe we need to do it again that Norfolk Council was the first council to actually vote on a resolution to support their initiative. I think it passed seven to one. Um, but maybe because we have a new council, it may be worth bringing it back up and having a vote to support your work with that um, and making sure that people know we're serious because Norfolk's been carved up um, on that. And then uh, finally, um, I am supportive of going televising all the way till the end. Um, but as I've always said, I am concerned about um, the conduct of speakers. And I realize there's First Amendment rights and things that we can do. But actually, one of my concerns is more about politics um, and people endorsing candidates or uh, people wearing political shirts. I'm sorry, is Ellis here? <laughs> Ellis isn't here. But uh, people pushing um, issues or placement on that. I know it can still be done in other parts of the meeting. But I think um, as part of our roles with that, I think it would be great to make sure that we are have a little bit of uh, so control with that. Can we revisit the, can we revisit the ordinance um, to, to tighten the ordinance to address some of the concerns that uh, Tommy has raised and, and as well as Mrs. Johnson has raised you know, some of the same questions to make sure that we have the best ordinance uh, uh, yes. possible that passes, will, uh, passes muster. I'll redistribute it and then seek everybody's comments and, and take it from there. Okay, Angela. With regard to that, I mean, I don't have a problem with the, the televising the whole meetings and things like that, but um, I do think it might be wise for us to look at our neighboring localities just to see what they have in place as far as guidelines. Um, I don't want to hinder or appear to hinder anybody's First Amendment right to speak, but I think with everything, what everybody needs to be mindful of is that there is a decorum that is in place when you come to city council um, and it's not about the individual person but it's the office of the city council and it's the office of the mayor and it's the office of the council members um, that ha that should be respected by the, the citizens just like we have to respect the citizens when they stand there and they say whatever it is that they're going to say um, so I think that possibly looking at what other if, if other localities I mean just in the seven cities just to see what they do you don't have, we don't have to go richmond and petersburg and all that kind of stuff but just to see if they have something that we can 
mirror with regard to, you know, because I know Portsmouth just went to five minutes, and I just think that's nuts. Andrea. So I, I would just suggest that um, while I like the idea of looking at our sister cities do, I think Norfolk needs to start looking beyond the 757 and understand that we don't want to necessarily be what everybody else is doing at Hampton Roads and look at what other cities that we aspire to be like are doing as well um, and or other first cities in the state. Without exhaustive research, it should take more than an hour to figure out who's doing what. Um, but I think it's important that we don't always compare ourselves just to what's happening in our surrounding um, area. So. Okay. Just, uh, yeah, Mr. Manager, we are at the hour. Yeah, the only thing I want to just remind you all, Bernard, I think everybody knows we're adding this item to the agenda, the resolution, um, basically verifying that we've declared the state of emergency on uh, Friday. So we're scheduled to come in at 5 in two weeks, and but you wanted to go over retreat items. Which, we're going to do, which is also on the agenda. So, so you've got uh, the things that you're missing tonight. The good news is, you know, what we started doing is the presentation that you're going to see tonight, you know, you got Thursday. So George's presentation on military, uh, pretty straightforward, but it'll be on your, your agenda next week, uh, or excuse me, on the 24th. And then the communication piece, I can roll into what Suzanne Perrier is going to walk us through um, on the 24th as well. Maybe we should get together before 5 o'clock. Yeah, we may start earlier than 5 on the 24th.